Well, we have been, as a church, praying for our leaders, and we need to continue to pray for our leaders. So I'm going to go into a time of prayer. Would you stand with me as we pray to God? Lord God, in this time of uncertainty, in this time of emotion, and now, Lord, in this very contentious political season, more than ever, we need you to be the true leader of this nation. God and our human leaders, we so desperately need them to turn toward you. Speak, Lord. Speak to your people. Speak to our leaders. I pray especially for President Trump, for Vice President Pence, that you would give them supernatural wisdom and understanding to be able to lead this country, to lead this country to you. God, I pray for Governor Walls, that you would give him supernatural wisdom as he leads our state. Lord, I pray for the many people in our nation who are working against the virus. Please, Lord, give them the knowledge, the wisdom, the insight that they need. Lord, I pray for the many people in our country who are ill. I pray for the many people in our country who are angry. Our country is at a crossroads, it seems, Lord. And there are many different crossroads at play here, but the crossroad that matters to me is, are we going to submit to you, Lord, as a country, as a people, as families, as individuals? Or are we going to go our own way? That is the choice that is in front of us. And election seasons are more than just about elections. They are about determining direction for a people. God, I pray for our country. I pray that our country would turn to you, Lord Jesus, that we would submit ourselves to you. God, there are many leaders in our church, our national church, our regional church, and even in our church here, our board of trustees, and um, Pastor Mike, I pray for you as you are endeavoring on this new journey as a, as a Christian leader, as a pastor. I pray that God would give you what you need to be successful. I pray for the ministries of our church and the uncertainty that we are facing now, Lord. It can cause anxiety, but we are called to trade our anxiety for your peace, Lord God. So we pray that our church, in every step, in every moment, our church would be following your lead, God. That we would not take one step to the right or to the left away from the direction that you've called us to take. We desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ with this community. But we desire to do it your way, in your timing, Lord God. Please give us wisdom and discernment to know what that is for the ongoing ministry of this church. And specifically, Lord, I just ask for this fall, help us to know. I pray for the leaders of our school district, for Mr. Kep, for Mr. Glenn, that they would have wisdom. For the school board, Lord God, give us as a community wisdom to know your direction. 
We need you. God, we know that there are many in our fellowship who are struggling with various things, with illnesses and difficulties and children with cancer that has returned. And Lord God, I, I just pray that you would remind us who you are. Thank you, God. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. good to be with you again. And it, it's a little bit odd for me. It's very rare. Uh, it, it's rare that I, I get to miss a Sunday, which is normal. That's what pastors do. They preach on Sunday. But it's a little bit more rare for a pastor to miss two Sundays in a row. And I have had the opportunity to not have to preach for two Sundays in a row because two Sundays ago, the measles were here sharing. And of course, last Sunday, Pastor Sarah was here. Well, Sarah, thank you for preaching in my absence last week. And thank you for praying for me and my family to be refreshed. I saw that and I appreciated it. And we returned refreshed. And last Sunday, uh, Sarah, was the second message that you have preached in 2020. Back in February, you preached as I recovered from eye surgery. And I wonder, if someone would have told you 10 years ago that in the year 2020 you would be preaching two sermons in front of hundreds of people, what would have you told them? <laughs> no, that's a big one. She's shaking her head vehemently, is that right? I'm not sure. I appreciate the message, Sarah, that God gave to us through you. Hmm. By the way, um, just a little aside here. I hope it is very apparent that our church believes strongly that the Holy Spirit calls and equips men and women for ministry. I know that there are churches today that do not believe women should be pastors or teachers in the church. That's just a fact. I want to say unequivocally, our church strongly affirms the biblical example of women in pastoral and preaching ministry, just as men. There might be a sermon series brewing about that sometime in the future. But that's where we are, and I thought you should know. Well, what about those verses in 2 Timothy? I'll Come talk to me if that's a, an issue with you. I'd love to have a conversation. Uh, yeah, thank you, Sarah. Well, Pastor Sarah, you gave a challenge to us last week, a challenge taken directly from Psalm 4610. Does anybody remember that Sarah preached from Psalm 46 last week? Be still and know that I am God. Sarah, you challenged us to take time to be still and know God this week. You challenged us to listen for God's still small voice in the stillness and silence. You challenged us to hear God speaking to us. So church, how did you do? How did you do to Sarah's challenge? How was your prayer life this week? Did you seek stillness with the Lord? Please open your Bibles if you would 
to Luke chapter 7. Like I said, it has been a few weeks since I have had the pleasure of preaching to you, with you. Last Sunday, as I said, Pastor Sarah preached from Psalm 46, and the Sunday before that, we did hear the measles, and the Sunday before that, I preached on Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 about the New Testament command to obey the government and honor the emperor. Well, in January of this year, I told you that we were going to be preaching through the Gospel of Luke, and we have been attempting to do so, but now here we are. It's been three weeks since we've been in the Gospel of Luke. We just keep getting interrupted. You know, little things keep happening, like global pandemics that shut the church for months, or racial inequality race riots that happen only a couple hours away. Things that, you know, are just little things. You know, threats to the very fabric of our society and country have been happening this year. 2020 has been an interesting year. But you know, through all of these interruptions, even though we wanted to get through, or at least I wanted to get through the book of Luke much faster than we have, through all of these interruptions, I, and I hope you, are finding comfort in the fact that our church always returns to the gospel of Luke. Think about that for a second. Through all of the interruptions that we've had, and all of the the different messages that the Lord has laid on me to give to you, through all of these strange things, we return to Luke. We return to the gospel of Luke. We have been. I think, as I've reflected on my time away, I think that that is something good. We return to the gospel always, don't we? By the way, what does the gospel mean? What what does the word gospel mean? Good news. Yes. I've got a sticker on my pulpit up here. 1 Corinthians 9.16 says, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. I have that sticker looking at me every time I'm up here talking to you. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. We have good news to share. Not only do we have good news, we have news that makes sense of the craziness in the world around us. The gospel of Luke is part of that good news, and it is really good news. So as we open Scripture, I want to remind you, as Sarah reminded you last week, that when we read Scripture, before we read, we must pray. So would you join me in prayer? Lord God, as we open up your word this morning, it is our desire that we would grow in our understanding and our relationship with you. This happens when Christians submit themselves to you, And this happens when we recognize that we're not smart enough to understand this stuff without your work in us, Holy Spirit. So, Holy Spirit, we invite you to help us understand and come to know you better through your word this morning. Amen. What is the goal of Christianity? I really want you to think about that right now. Come up with an answer in your mind. What is the goal of Christianity?
You know, at first glance, this seems like a pretty easy question, doesn't it? You know, I always like the game show Family Feud. I think this would be a great question to ask for a round of Family Feud. I, we surveyed 100 question, Christians to find their answer to this question. What is the goal of Christianity? If, if I were in youth ministry, we would have a skit right now, and there would be Family Feud, and it would be funny. But I decided we're not in youth ministry exactly. So, um, I, I just would like someone to say, survey says. I think that that would be fun. Because maybe the goal would be, you know, survey says, the goal of Christianity is to get saved. Oh, you know, you know, 20 points. You know, and then the next person. Well, maybe the goal of Christianity is to feel better about yourself. You know, five points. And then the next person. Well, maybe the goal of Christianity is to be blessed by God, that he gives us money and stability to live life. You know, you know, 25 points. And then somebody would say, all right, they would say, the goal of Christianity is to get to heaven. And then everybody goes, yeah, good answer, good answer, good answer, good answer. That's the goal. You know, one of my favorite things about the show Family Feud, it's the buzzer noise. I love that noise. I love that noise. If I, I, I would use that noise more in my sermons because it, it, I, I like to kind of lead you into thinking I'm saying one thing and then... I'm sorry, I, I couldn't help myself. I had to have the buzzer noise in today. I've been missing that buzzer noise. Yes, that is a good noise. You know, by the way, all of those answers I gave, they're not completely wrong, okay? So obviously, going to heaven is something that's a good thing. There are many good things about all of the things I just said on the list, and going to heaven is definitely a good thing. But I want you to notice that all of those answers I just gave you are about us. They are about me. They are self-focused. I want to get saved. I want to feel better about myself. I want to be blessed. I, I don't want to spend eternity in hell. I want to spend eternity in heaven. Do you see that? All of those things are self-focused. And they are what I guess I might call transactional. And that might seem odd to you, but stick with me for a second, I hope. A transaction is when we give something to get something. That's a transaction. Even in my prayer earlier for the offering, I, I purposely said what I said about we're not, we're not giving money to you so that you'll somehow bless us. By the way, when you hear pastors on the TV say something like that, Turn off the TV. Okay? That's bad theology. It's not right. A transaction is when you give something to someone and then you get something in return. We make a payment and we get something for our payment. So we go to Walmart, we spend money, right? We get groceries. Or we might go to like an amusement park and we, we, we pay for the the ticket to get into the amusement park so that we can get to ride on a really fun roller coaster or a thrill ride. Or we might, get, we might pay to get into the park so that we can have this amazing, magical experience, right? It's a transaction. 
We pay something, we get something. But I, I wonder, is that what Christianity is? Just make your payment, and then you get something in return. Well, what do you expect to get? Some expect that their guilty conscience will feel better. If I ask God for forgiveness, then I won't feel so guilty about the bad things I have done. Some expect blessing. If I pay my respects to God, or if I put stuff in the offering, then He will bless me so I will be happy and have money. You remember the prayer of Jabez fad that went around 15 years ago? The prayer of Jabez is scriptural. It's not a bad thing. But it turned into something that wasn't good. Do you, do you see that? That it turned into a transaction. If I, if I just give something to God, then I'll get something back from Him. And others expect what they want to get back in the transaction. They want heaven. If I buy my ticket, then I will get to heaven and I will avoid hell. So, being a Christian is, you could say, if you believe in this transactional idea, being a Christian is really just about feeling better about yourself or getting a lot of money and happiness, like buying happiness, or maybe even buying eternal life. Almost like you're, you're purchasing eternal life fire insurance. That's what you get. You get an insurance policy, right? Isn't that what Christianity is? Is that the goal of Christianity? Is that it? Because if that's the goal... And by the way, I think a lot of Christians have bought the fact that this is, that this is what I... They, they've bought the fact that what I've just said is the gospel. That what I've just said is the gospel. I think that's why churches are dying. Because if you expect a transaction to occur, you're going to be disappointed. Because that's not what Christianity is. Let me tell you, just to be clear, as a Christian, you will feel better about yourself God's forgiveness is real. And as a Christian, you will be blessed by God. God's blessing of His children is real, although God's blessing often looks quite different than what we expect. And as a Christian, you need to know that when you ask God to be saved and forgive your sins, you will go to heaven. Those things are real. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying, those aren't the goals. Have you ever considered that before? Does what I'm, what I'm saying should be somewhat upsetting to you at this point. Because what I just said to you is that the goal of Christianity is not going to heaven. It's not about blessing. It's not about even making you feel better about yourself. How could this be? I mean, haven't we been taught our whole life that what we're supposed to do is get saved and go to heaven? I mean, isn't that the point? Just hang on long enough to get to heaven. Isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Well, I'm challenging that assumption this morning. I do believe that many, perhaps even most Christians, think that the only thing that really matters in Christianity is getting to heaven. Well. Getting to heaven is a very great reward, a very great reward. And it is what we hope for and strive for, but it is not 
the goal of Christianity. It's time to look at Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Well, tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What is the goal of Christianity. After reading this account of Jesus to you, I think this question is very appropriate. What is the goal of Christianity? Is your faith just a transaction? Are you a Christian because you want to get something from Jesus? Or do you just love Him. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with God. God is love. We are to love as God has loved us, and we are called to love Him. This story is so important for us to understand the true nature of following Jesus Christ. Yeah, I mean, this story is not difficult to understand. 
Jesus has been invited to the house of a Pharisee named Simon. By the way, this is not Simon Peter. This is a different guy. A teacher of the Jewish law. That's what Pharisees were. They were teachers of the law. The Pharisee views Jesus as an equal to himself, maybe even lesser than himself. He does not love Jesus. In fact, he doesn't even respect Jesus enough to offer him the common hospitality courtesies of the day. In fact, Jesus himself points out that this Pharisee, Simon, didn't even offer him the simplest of normal hospitalities. Look again at these three verses, starting in verse 44. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. Common courtesy. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Second one, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Number three, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. So imagine this, to put this in today's context, it'd be like inviting someone into your house. Like, like last week, we had the measles, two weeks ago, we had the measles in our house. It'd be like when they showed up, like us not even being ready to receive them, Right? Like not even inviting them in, making them open the door themselves, right? When they come in, you know, we, we don't shake their hand. It's one of the problems we're having with COVID-19 right now. It's disrupting these things, right? Because it's rude. Imagine if, if the measles would have came in the first time they drove all the way from Indiana. They come into our house. They come in, and I don't even shake their hand. Hey, come on in. And then, besides that, I don't say something like this. Hey, could I take your bag? Let me take your bag down to your room. Let me show you where your room is going to be while you stay with us. You'd just be like, well, figure it out yourself. Right? You can sit down if you want, I guess. I don't know, whatever. We don't have have supper ready. Did you want something for supper? I, I I didn't bother to get that ready. That is what Simon the Pharisee did for Jesus. He didn't offer water for his feet. A kiss. The kiss, by the way, was the handshake of that time. So he didn't offer him a handshake. He didn't say, because you see, the Pharisee didn't want anybody to think that he might be thinking Jesus was an authority on anything, that he was worthy of respect. He was purposely showing that he did not want to publicly say that Jesus was worthy of his respect. Simon, I think, expected Jesus to put a show on for him. Why did Simon invite Jesus into his house? He invites him into his house and then doesn't offer him the most common of courtesies. Why? Okay, you're the big fancy teacher, right? You're the big miracle worker, right? All right, come into my house and do a miracle. Yeah, you can come in. I'm not going to shake your hand. But let's see what you got. So why don't you come in and let's see what you got. Come in and do your, do your thing. Do your trick. I want to see it. That's what Simon's doing. He's made a transaction with Jesus, hasn't he? Okay, I'll let you in my house. It's my fancy house. I'm a Pharisee. I'll let you in my house, okay? And then I'm, you come on in. Come on in. Okay, sit over here, okay? Now, okay, do your thing. Go ahead. Go ahead, Jesus. Come on, say some piece of wisdom. Let's go. Heal somebody. I'll see a miracle. I'll sign up for that. Yeah. 
Simon the Pharisee wanted Jesus to perform. Now compare Simon with the woman. I want you to notice something very, very profound about this passage that I am quite sure you have not realized, even though I just read it to you. I'm going to read the entire passage one more time, and I want you to listen. Because there's something that happens in this passage that is much more profound than you have realized up to this point in this message. Listen again. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she's a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. For she loved much, but he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests begin to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So, I wonder if you noticed the profound thing. Are you ready for it? The woman never says a word. Not one word. You see, the woman is not there to speak. She's not there to have her opinion heard. She's not there to do anything except just one thing. She is there to worship, to adore, 
and to simply love Jesus. And now, we have arrived at the goal of Christianity. Christianity is not about a transaction of giving something so that you get something. Christianity is about worshiping, adoring, and simply loving Jesus Christ. When Christians do this one thing, this is the one thing, when Christians do this one thing, everything else falls into place. Look again at the last part of this passage. Therefore I tell, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you understand? The woman never said anything. She didn't say a word. And she was granted forgiveness of her sins and salvation and peace. Remember what I said before, that many Christians think the goal of Christianity is to obtain forgiveness to feel better from their guilt or to obtain blessing from God or to obtain eternal life in heaven. Do you you guys understand? This woman was granted all of those things that you think you need to be transactional about. She was granted by Jesus all of those things you think you have to work for. Just because she loved him. And that's it. That's the end of the requirement. And it's not even a transaction in that way. Do you see that? I wonder, what has Christianity become? That we think that everything revolves around very specific doctrines you have to believe a certain way. Very specific things you've got to say just right. Think about that. There are churches that think you have to say something just right to become a member of the church. Consider that in light of this passage. Consider that in light of this passage. All she did was love him. That's it. Nothing else. Nothing more. Not even a word. Not even a word. And my words don't do as good as a picture either. So I want you to see. came with specific instructions. Use it wisely. My grandmother said, it is only for the most special occasion. It had been a gift from her mother who told her the same thing. Only for the most special occasion. I held it for years, not knowing what could be special enough for this. Until It was six days before Passover. He was reclined, his feet towards me, 
Around him, his followers. I too was a follower. At first at a distance. But he invited us. The women. Women. Really everyone to come near to hear his stories of God's curious kingdom. That night, I gathered my perfume from its safe hiding place. The room crowded with men. No one noticed me. Without hesitation, I broke open the lid of the bottle. The perfume drenched his feet. With a slight smile, he, he looked at me. And then I did something I had not planned. I covered, I covered his feet with my hair, washing them with my tears. I had no choice. He was Messiah, worthy of anointing. This, this was the celebration that everyone hoped for, of who we hoped for. I kept the bottle and the memory. The perfume was not wasted. He, he was the most special occasion. What is the goal of Christianity? Where are you today? Are you so busy that you have forsaken your relationship with Jesus Christ? Did you actually be still and know this week, as Pastor Sarah challenged you to do? Or as soon as you stepped out the door last week, did you forget that? Did it just go away? Because everyday life, as soon as you step out that door, you know exactly what happens. Hits you. It hits you hard. And all of the pressures and all of the things that are so important, they press on you, don't they? And you forget. And you think, well, it's okay, I've made the transaction with Jesus, so I'm good, I can just do my own thing. It's not about the transaction. Christianity is not about getting your ticket punched to heaven. Christianity is about being in love with Jesus Christ. And everything that you do and everything that you are moves in that direction. That's Christianity. That is the goal of Christianity. How much time did you spend on social media this week? How much time did you spend maybe watching the news? 
And how much time did you spend just listening and adoring and worshiping and loving Jesus Christ? So I have a challenge for you. Pastor Sarah gave you a challenge last week. I'm giving you another one. This won't be difficult. It will take a little bit of rearranging of your busy schedule. I challenge you, New Life Church of God, I challenge you to take 30 minutes every day this week. 30 minutes. No distractions. 30 minutes of unhurried time. Did you say that? Did you hear that? Unhurried time. And I want you just to sit and listen to God. How do I do that? Because most of us, when we think about praying, we think about blah, 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 blah. We think we've got to have all these fancy words. That's not it at all. Prayer is a conversation which requires you to listen for at least half the time. <laughs> That's what conversations are. I am challenging you to find 30 minutes every day, unhurried time, and listen. How do you listen for God? Won't your brain go crazy with the 17,000 things in your to-do list? Yes. That's why this discipline is so important. And by the way, I have a terrible time doing this. Because my brain goes 17,000 times a minute. It's very difficult for me to do this as well. But it's essential. Do you see the pattern that Luke chapter 7 verses 36 through 50 has given us? Do you see Christianity is not a transaction with God? And if it's not a transaction, that means it's a relationship. Relationships will not survive unless you give them time every day. You know, we know that, right? You know that. But we forget that, don't we? And I would also recommend this. Take a piece of paper, an empty piece of paper and a pen, and as you sit there, if you just think, I can't do this, write a question for God. And then be silent and listen for the answer. Well, that's really hokey, Pastor Jason. I'm not going to do that. Do you think that God wants to speak to you, yes or no? Do you think He wants to? Do you think He loves you? Do you have this belief somewhere in your memory banks that God loves you? If He loves you, do you suppose He would like to speak to you? If you give Him a moment of your time. 30 minutes a day is not too much to ask. That's the challenge. And the greater challenge is that this would not end in seven days. What would happen in our church if our entire church took 30 minutes of unhurried time to listen to God every day? What do you think would happen in Bertha? I think the kingdom of God would expand in a way we've never seen before. That's my challenge. Would you stand, and I will pray, and we will be dismissed.
Heavenly Father, I've laid out a challenge to myself and to the people here gathered and to the people that are still listening on the internet. A challenge to have 30 minutes of unhurried time to listen to you. And so God, I don't need to ask this of you because I I think you're up there excited to speak to us. I I think you are looking forward to, to speaking to us. But I ask you, Lord, to speak to us. I pray against the distractions that undoubtedly will be pressing in on us. In this very room, there's people with little kids. There's people with infants. There's people with toddlers right now who are thinking to themselves, I don't have 30 minutes of unhurried time to take a shower in the day. How is this possibly going to work? I pray, Lord, that in this moment, you would give spiritual, supernatural insight to people who think they don't have time to do this. And now, God, as we move forward as a church into this next stage of opportunity, we give you all the thanks and praise and glory and worship and adoration because we just love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.